I mean, this is this is what we've, we've dreamed of for 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 14 years, and it's here. This this is it. It's here. Yeah. I mean, it's not the final fulfillment of every dream we've ever had, but this you know this is a step on the way, and I mean, we're at it. We're there. We're on the way, and maybe we'll keep going farther from here. Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles fan podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eat More SK on Camden Chat. This episode is being recorded on September the 16th, 2012. The Orioles have just now won their 82nd baseball game of the year, the first time that's been done since 1997. And my usual podcasting partner in crime, Andrew Gibson, is gallivanting through the West Coast. I think he was actually at a Los Angeles Dodgers game today. Uh, so I hope he's having fun out there. I'm joined to start off the podcast with by uh, ESPN insider Dan Zimborski, also a noted Orioles fan among the national writer community and the mastermind behind the Zips projection system. So Dan, welcome to Camden Cast, first of all. Hi, Mark. How you doing? Well, I am doing pretty good since the Orioles won. I would have been a lot more depressed if they lost because it would have been Orioles losing, Ravens losing, just Orioles getting swept. It would have been. They made, it, they made it more interesting than, than you wanted to see going into the ninth inning. That's definitely the way it was, but they won in the end, so that's what counts. And Dan, you and I were just talking before we started recording about since the last time they were winning was 1997, what were you doing in 1997 in the fall? Well, in 1997, I was in my uh, second year of college. I was I was working at Stebbins Anderson in Towson uh, as a part-time cashier. Uh, I didn't really work very hard. That's for, lacrosse very good store, is that right? Pardon? Stebbins is a lacrosse store, am I right? No, it's it's a housewares hardware store. Oh. It's on Kenilworth Why did Drive. I think I... There's a lacrosse store in the mall. Oh. It used to be Lax World. Well, I don't know why I thought I heard I thought Stevens Lack. It's uh, it's close it's close to the lacrosse. There's a lacrosse store. It's Lax World. Well, that's where the lacrosse players. That was got a pretty big fail on my part. Hopefully, that's the worst fail I'll have on the podcast. Uh, no, they, they never sold any lacrosse things, as far as I can tell. Patio equipment. Um, See, so I was in, 19, I was in ninth grade in 1997. That was my freshman year of high school. So it's been a long, long time. This day, I did. I certainly didn't think it was going to come this year, but it's arrived. Gasoline was a lot cheaper then. Oh, I don't even know what. It, I'm I, what, probably it was under a buck a gallon still back then. Uh, if 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 it, I, I would have uh, had to have taken a bicycle everywhere at these gas prices. And some of the movies that came out in 1997, just for anybody out there who wants a little trip trip down memory lane, like during baseball season, here were some movies that were the number one movie in America. We got Liar Liar. The Fifth Element, Con Air, Men in Black, Air Force One, and then at the very end of the season was The Peacemaker, which was the last time the Orioles were above 500 in the regular season. The number one movie was The Peacemaker, which if I remember right is George Clooney and Nicole Kidman. Yes, you do. It wasn't a very good movie. I actually liked the movie. It was a very 1997 movie. I'm, I'm a sucker for a Hans Zimmer soundtrack, uh, and I, I really adored The Fifth Element. Eastern European terrorists was a very late 90s thing i like the fifth element a lot that's one of my movies that i've always stopped and watched so that was 1997 in the movie world and of course the orioles were, were winning and then just think of the 15 years since then and now all the people that have played for the orioles and never once 
played on a team that was a winning Orioles team. Like, just any of the last decade, anybody that played on any of those teams, well, nope, you were never on a winning team. Like, I don't know. I, Sidney Ponson wasn't there in 1997. I don't think he showed up after that, right? No, he, he wasn't. Jesse Orozco was, though. Jesse Orozco. Now, that's... That, that yeah, he's a lot back. older now. Think about how old he was in 1997. How old does he have to be now? It's, it's, it's just a little nuts. So, Dan, obviously, I would say we were all surprised that the Orioles uh, have been this successful this year. But what would you say was the most surprising to you personally as far as things that have happened? Well, the, uh, the adequacy of the pitching staff, for one reason, uh, for on one thing. Um Going into the season, I was not very optimistic about their chances of keeping the runs down. And, of course, they've, they've still had some problems with the starters, but the bullpen has just been solid. And to actually see the Orioles in the middle of the league in ERA is an unusual sight. I've been in disbelief about all of it the entire season. It just feels like, ah, oh, well, the bullpen, they're overachieving. They're due to start. I guess we're seeing a little bit of this with, obviously, today. We were sweating uh, Pedro Strope out a little bit. He just seems like I don't well, I don't know if he's getting tired or what. It's a little bit uh worrying for the last sixteen games of the season. But the rotation finally sort of solidifying maybe I don't know. Well well at the top. I mean you still don't like to ever well, I mean they made some acquisitions. I mean they brought in Randy Wolf to pitch in the starting rotation at some point, I I still think. Uh and of and of course they um and of course, Chris Tillman has been adequate, but there's there's still some problems at the bottom of the rotation. If the Orioles make the playoffs, it hopefully won't be as big a deal. Well, they got a two and a half game lead over the Angels uh, with only 16 to play, so we might get to find out what that world is like. Although, after watching this series in Oakland, it's not very exciting to think, oh, the Orioles will be the second wildcard team and go play a one game playoff in Oakland. But I'm not. Try not to get too depressed about all that, because today we need to be excited, because there's... They are, just, they are just a game behind, still. That's, yeah. They don't have to give up, they don't have to give up the, the divisional crown quite yet. No, and the Yankees have... Well, they have a slighter, slightly more easy schedule than the Orioles do now, but who knows? They're, uh, they're old and breaking down, too, so anything is possible. All I think what the, what the O's need is a very recognizable song. The 89 Orioles had that. You know, we talked about this um, a couple podcasts ago, Dan, because somebody asked who they thought would be the the Maryland or Baltimore connected artist to uh, record a 2012 Orioles song. So, do you have any particular thoughts as far as a local artist or just what the local song should be about? I'm I'm not a, I'm I'm not as into the connected with the local uh, music community in Baltimore, unfortunately. So I, well, we were I just would, naming see, anybody. I'd pick the Canadian band. I'd pick the new pornographers or something. I wouldn't. Well, anybody that wants to record a song is welcome to do it, I guess. But I don't know. I don't know. What, what would you the... don't want me to record. I mean, I, I can sing the Why Not song, but you don't want to have me recording a new song. <laughs> no. So what do you think is the, the theme of the 2012 Orioles song, then? What would the title be? Not having Kevin Gregg as a closer. But I need a you need a better title than that. It has to be snappier. Well, I don't know. I mean, you could have like. But Kevin Gregg was kind of like the symbol of the Orioles' mediocrity. I mean, they they bring him in last year as part of their their quest for 81 games, and they've gotten such um um greater amount of success from the bullpen 
not having the overpaid name mediocre closer like they've had so many times before, you know, Baez and Mike Greg Gonzalez. And... Oh. <laughs> I like Mike Gonzalez, but his his uh, Orioles tenure was a disaster. Well, yeah, I mean, blowing two games out of the first four was about as bad as you could get. Blowing opening day and then home opening day. Not going to get the fans on your side. So, like, uh, Kevin Gregg is exactly the symbol of, of that era that's thankfully gone now, because that was just Andy McPhail. Just signing relievers just wasn't his his strength in any way, shape, or form. And it was it, really interesting to me, because, like you said, this year was the first year where they didn't say, well, we're trying to get 81, 82 wins, which I think the last two years probably was what's the Andy McPhail thing. And if I remember right, just before the season started, Dan Duquette was asked by the new Baltimore Sun beat writer, Eduardo Encina, if he thought this was a 500 team. And he said no. He didn't think so. Uh, and that was right before the season started. But here we are. They're above 500. It, it's nice that they actually used Jim Johnson as a closer this year. Because he's, he's been a solid, dependable reliever for a long time. But there was never that epiphany that said, oh, you know what? He can close games. Well, he wasn't a proven closer. So, you know, how could they possibly have him close games before this year. It makes me wonder where they think closers come from. If they, like, hatch out of giant eggs. You can only be a closer if you were already the eighth inning guy and then the closer gets hurt or leaves, I guess. Maybe that's the... That's that's probably better than my egg theory. Well, I mean, that's effectively hatching out of an egg for all the sense it makes. No, I was thinking of real eggs. It wasn't a figurative egg. I was thinking of these giant closer eggs laid by older relief pictures like... Like Billy Wagner lays a big egg and it becomes a new closer. See, I'm feeling like there's an Aliens movie plot here. It, it probably wouldn't get uh, much in the way of box office. No, no, maybe not so much. So uh, we'll we'll go ahead and abandon that. But actually, I mean, Jim Johnson over the offseason, they were talking about, well, maybe they'll put him in the starting rotation. It would have been a fun experiment to see. I really uh, don't feel like I know enough personally about the, you know, how to parse whether those are good decisions or not like if you look it's at a guy like Neftali Feliz in Texas they say well maybe they should have him be a starter but I don't know it's, it's difficult to sort out but um, the Orioles did appear to be on the losing side coming into the season and one of the nice things that losing teams have is that they can they have the freedom to experiment a little uh, the Yankees can't go into a season making wild crazy experiments but a team that's, that's down as the Orioles did does have that luxury. Like having roster moves every single day, almost. <laughs> uh, but but if the Orioles were a better team, some of the reasons we saw that made the team good would not exist. If they were a better team, they might have hung on to Jeremy Guthrie. Uh, if they had a better team, they might not have been as willing to give Chris Davis a chance. So on and so forth. That's true. That's a very good point. It's it's it just all helps to contribute to that kind of magical feeling like only this group of players used in this exact way could get you the 2012 Orioles and if you if you changed even one thing it would have just been like it ruined the magic. I don't know. Well, maybe if it was Tommy Hunter being traded that wouldn't. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't complain. Wouldn't I wouldn't have complained if that happened cuz my nickname for Tommy Hunter is Five Runs All Earned. Oh, I call him Touchdown Tommy Hunter. Because it's six runs, some, on, someone 
pitches in the extra point. Oh, even a couple of his relief outings, he managed to give up the five runs. It's like... If, when you watch Hunter, he's possibly the least impressive picture in baseball to watch. Well, he got a scoreless inning today, so more power to him. He's contributed to at least one of the wins, because it was today's. That's the power of batting average and balls in play. Although the official scorer did not give him the win, even though they got the winning runs while he was the pitcher of record. Because, uh, I don't know why. Well, whatever, that's the official scorer. Maybe because he gave up a hit and a walk, so they deemed him ineffective. The the uh, the ineffective clause is, can kind of be stretched like taffy. I've I've never liked that you can't even consider a pitch that doesn't throw five innings to be the win, and that's just that's just ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know. I, it doesn't really matter, but it is it is kind of whatever. Official scores do all kinds of weird stuff. Like it seems to me they tend to be kind of homers towards their own fielders in terms of don't give a guy an error unless you absolutely have to. This actually has been studied that there is a significant home park effect towards error. Although I feel like if you look at Yankee Stadium, it might be the opposite, where you give Derek Jeter a base hit every time, even if maybe it should be an error. Well, of course, Jeter's this magical pixie fairy that makes people write bad articles about him. Derek Jeter, MVP, he's in the conversation, right? Oh, no. oh. If 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 you're having a conversation with someone and you're talking about the AL MVP and anybody but Mike Trout comes up, you just need to, to cold cock the guy in the jaw because that's the conversation. There's there's no conversation. Well, writers got to fill out their down ballot, too. And then, and then they need to think, well, they can fill out the down ballot. But if Mike Trout does not win and get every single first place vote. There should be some sort of congressional investigation. It's it's going to be pretty ridiculous if he's not the unanimous choice. Because, I mean, really, come on. Mike Trout is beyond belief this year. His his stats line is just off the chart, and you consider he's a rookie and slugging over 500. He's pretty much 300, 400, 500. Well, he's, I mean, more than 500. He's got a 562 after today's slugging. He took an 0 for 3 today, so all of his numbers went down. Well, any, any, he can have good days and have his number go down. Essentially, that's how that's how what an awesome season he's having. But again, that he he is the conversation. Um, surprisingly, Derek Jeter. I mean, he's never had an MVP and he's never been given one, which I'm surprised because there was actually uh, I forget the year offhand, but there was actually one where he had a good case. And you wonder how the writers did not give him the AL MVP. They were too but busy not... giving him every gold glove. <laughs> what was it, 2006 maybe? He came in second that year. It looks like he was... No, that was horrible. I don't think it was 2006. Maybe 1998. He was third. That's a pretty good year in 1998. I don't know. Yeah, that was a very good year. I have it in front of me now. I do have a computer. I could have actually checked this. Well, you know, where Andrew and I have a long tradition on this podcast of not knowing things off the top of our head, so we're just we're just continuing that. I mean I can see why he's a gold glover because gold is pretty heavy and he feels like he has a heavy glove and that's why he can't he can't dive very far or move very fast. Oh, that was a good one. So I've never heard special. that one before. I I am never going to get tired of Derek Jeter jokes. So anyway, let's get back to the Orioles. So Dan, you are the mastermind behind the Zips projection system. 
So I was just thinking it might be fun if we looked at some of the Zips projections that you had for the Orioles this year to uh, <laughs> just kind of see how it compared. Well, I did project them for 67 wins, which is not where they are going to finish. My clearly. guess on this podcast was 70, and I was feeling like I was going to be optimistic in saying 70. So let me see. Well, first, could you kind of, for anybody who's not familiar with it, could you explain a little bit about what the Zips is and how you uh, how you get what it is? Uh, well, well, Zips projection system uses recent history and uh, similar player types throughout baseball history as a reference to make educated guesses about how players will age. Um, if you ever watch a hurricane projection, you see that cone of certainty. Yes. That that have it. That that's uh, it's a lot. It has very a lot like projecting baseball players in a way. Uh, you can't really test baseball players in that way. You can't throw them in a game and make them play a million times. Uh, so you kind of have to be guided by history. Because essentially all we know about baseball is baseball history. So when, when, once you model that, you can get educated guesses about what players will do. Of course, you're going to miss quite often. You have to kind of get used to that because 162 games isn't even the big sample size and players are very unpredictable creatures right so so basically you're looking at well this player did this through the early parts of his career and he's like some other player that was through baseball history and this is how they develop generally but obviously there's a lot of room essentially there. there's there's more underlying mathematics involved but if i start talking about fuzzy clustering and, and classification then i won't be a guest on radio ever again because it's really boring stuff unless you're a complete nerd like me i imagine your average talk radio host is not and to be honest with you that's that's kind of math is over my head as well although i would uh i wouldn't exclude you from ever talking to me on the podcast again but i certainly would that would be flying over my head pretty yeah big discussion one. of statistical analysis isn't really what you hear during the rush hour you don't hear 74 degrees and cloudy today also we're going to be talking about bayesian analysis it, it it's it's not going to happen. Doesn't exactly fit in with the traffic report. No, although I th I think it would it would it would help things out because maybe they can map out some of the vectors that that drivers can take. You can bring math to that too. Well, there you go, Dan. So they're they're not paying attention to you, and maybe they should be. That's that's what we've learned. So for instance, here's the Zips projection for Adam Jones. He was. Predicted to have a 278 batting average, 322 on base percentage, 447 slugging percentage, and hit 22 home runs, strike out 122 times, and assorted other goodies. 11 stolen bases, 5 caught stealing, which actually might be right about what Adam Jones is actually doing. Now he has 14 stolen bases, 6 caught stealing. Pretty close. So like... What do you think happened that Adam Jones exceeded his that much? Because his actual number is, well, right about on for the average, but then on base is 336 and slugging is 506 heading into today. So like well, he's, what he's he's finally displayed all that all that power that we thought we had in him. Um I mean, he's still not the most scientific hitter in the lineup by any means, but uh you always thought that he had that big home run season in him. Um and I mean, it's not 50 home runs. I mean, that was kind of unrealistic. But you've seen the development of his power. Uh, so uh, one thing you have to remember about projections is they're not really a single point. It predicts a whole array of projections. Uh, 
and along the spectrum, you're going to have some misses and hits, and you, you expect that to happen. There was always a chance that Jones's power would develop, and we're seeing that. It's, a, it's been a good scenario for the Orioles. Definitely a bonus. And, I mean, some of these, they didn't even hit, and the Orioles are still winning in spite of them. Of course, so Zips was thinking there would be a full season of Nolan Reimold, for instance, and we only well, got... Zips does. Zips is is agnostic when it comes to playing time. Yeah, I, I don't. I want a projection system to tell me essentially how good players throughout the organization are. I don't want a projection system to tell me who is going to play. So as you as you see, I project a lot more players than. So, for instance, you're not going to be manually tweaking next year's Giants predictions to consider the fact that they're never going to play Brandon Belt for any reason whatsoever. But I've I've gotten so much out of making fun of the Giants for Brandon Belt. I think I've made fun of him in two or three art. Well, not him, but made fun of the Giants for that in two or three articles this year. Some random Microsoft Paint artwork. Uh, now, were you the, were you the originator of the Wheel of Fortune? Uh, yeah, I'm, that, the Wheel of Fortune is mine. I, best Giants first baseman, and there's a picture of uh, Bruce Bocci. Yeah, and Bocci he's, uh, he's guessing like H, U, F, and P. If I, I should have thought of it at the time, but I should have had him guess F a second time, because that would have been funnier. Yeah, I guess it would have been. But give, me, give me three letters in a concept. H, U, F, F. Uh, but I, I didn't think of that at the time. I put the P. I assumed that he would guess uh pill after that that's what i figured the p was for Rhett pill so you know whatever but then you can look at the pitching staff on the on the zips and there's also some amazing things to be found on here like for instance jim johnson's projected zips was a 390 era with him pitching in 54 games getting 64 two-thirds innings now this didn't predict saves well i don't I guess saves. Would be I, a I, I don't tend thing. to predict saves. I don't think it's a great use of a computer because saves is is based so much on usage, um, more than any other of the basic stats in baseball. So I, I don't really think it's a great use of a computer to do that kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I'd rather have it tell me how good Matt Angle is or Caleb Joseph or any number of random players than than tell me who is going to because that humans are better at that kind of observation than a computer is you're actually right about on the zips is right about on with his strikeout and his walk rate because it looks like he will he'll probably end up right about 44 projected with the strikeouts and 17 walks projected he's got 13 so far so he might be a little bit under that but so i guess i guess maybe that's one thing it's good at is knowing well this guy had a strikeout to walk rate as this and it'll probably stay as this and and Jim Johnson and Darren O'Day were the only relievers projected to be better than league average, according to Zips. So that is correct. What is, Although league, I don't what is league average? What does it consider league average to be? Uh, usually about a 108 ERA plus. Uh, I'm trying to think out what league average is, and it would be somewhere a little over four. Uh, I did predict um, more offense than actually happened. I, I had a little bit of a regression in the league totals back toward 2010, 2011, or 2009, 2010. Uh, so I did miss low definitely on the league offense. I think most people did as well. I hope they did. Um, yeah, well, so, I mean, the year, the, the years of the pitcher, you know, everybody's been like, oh, everybody's, everybody's pitching great. So 
Well, know. generally when you have these seasons where, where the pitching shoots up or the hitting shoots up, usually it settles back down a little the year following, and that did not really happen this time around. Sure, that makes sense. So, okay, so the number one player comparison on Matt Weeders is Giovanni Soto, so that would have been unfortunate. Yeah, but, but Soto did have some good seasons when he was young. It's not necessarily... This year's Zips version. looks at a huge number of players. Yeah. Uh, everyone in Major League history, going back to the beginning of the 20th century, uh, and minor leaguers going back to 1974... Uh, so it has a it has a pretty big database. Um, Soto's just the one who came up first. It's not like he has more of an influence on the projection than than numbers two through ten, which I don't really have offhand. Uh, okay. Well, that makes but sense. Th- they're fun to look at because people tend to relate to players based on previous players. So it's it's really just something I really just display that so people can have fun and look at them. I certainly love looking at the career similarity arcs on BaseballReference.com. And just seeing where they were at such and such age, I always find that fascinating. The similarity scores or whatever they have on there, I uh, it, it's always neat because just some of the names just seem so random, like they have nothing in common with one another, but according to whatever they use on there, it is so. That's because when when scouts describe players similar to a white guy, it always seems to be compared to a white guy and a and a Hispanic guy to a Hispanic guy, so on and so forth. That's just some sort of some sort of uh, racial eugenics. Yeah, like every white grinder is going to be David Eckstein or something like that, and and right. so on and so forth from there. It's one of those things that you think, like, 30 years, we're going to look back on really uncomfortably, kind of like Song of the South. Uh, I, I would say there's a pretty good chance of that, although maybe it won't be as scrutinized, because uh, really, who cares what a yeah, bunch of um, as... baseball guys say about baseball, baseball guys care. Well, I suppose they do, but, you know, they a lot of them probably just like talking, so they have to say things, and eventually they will say dumb things. I certainly say a lot of dumb things on my podcast, and I don't even have a very big profile, so imagine the bigger mistakes all of those guys make. So anyway, that's that's what Zip said about the season, but that doesn't matter anymore because the Orioles... Well, they're, they're not playing the year out in a simulator. They're playing it out in real life. So I guess my question for you, Dan, is do you think they can pull off holding on to the wild card or even winning the division? And what do you well, see this, like over the last point, couple of weeks? At this point, definitely. I mean, first, of course, what happens in 2012 affects our, our uh, projections. If I projected the whole league again now, the Orioles would, be, would fare a lot better than they did going into the season. Uh, but there's only a handful of games left and there's no reason that they can't win the wild card or the even better than the divisional crown. Cause a lot can happen in 18 games. I don't have it in front of me. They got 16 and only 16. three of them are against uh, contenders at this point. Uh, but th- there's no reason at this point they can't pull it off. Uh, I mean, going into the off season, it still makes sense for Duquette to look at the team. Not really as an 81 and 64 team, but as a more 500 team, but they're not, Pythagoras isn't going to come down from whatever and and say give me those wins back. That's not that's not going to happen. I, you know, that might be worth seeing just if that did happen because would... he probably never even heard of it. Like, what is this? Why am I being used? My theorem was for triangles. Is he going to smite Bill James for for taking his name in vain or something like that? 
I don't know. I, I don't know. Can you take a mathematician's name in vain? I don't know. Uh, these are questions I've never pondered before. So I mean, I, 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 I w- it would be really. cool if if uh, mathematicians were at the status where you couldn't say their names. Like if you're doing calculus, you don't go, "Damn, you got free Leibniz," and then you get executed for blasphemy. <laughs> oh boy, I don't know how we ended up on that, but that's awesome. So uh, the so we have a guy on Camden chat. I don't recall if you've interacted with him, Dan. He's Dan O'Hare, and he predicted the Orioles would win 90 wins this year, and we all thought well, he was project- crazy. His projection's looking a lot better than mine is. Well. The crazy thing about his his post where he laid out why he thought it would be 90 wins is so many of the projections that he had were optimistic and didn't get reached. Like, for instance, about the pitching staff, the starters in particular. And yet the Orioles, right now, if they go 500 for the rest of the season, they'll end up at 90 and 72. And yeah, that would, they're probably going to win 90. That would be the Dan O'Hareville. It continues to blow my mind. Well, I mean, you don't want to be that optimistic every year, or you would have missed quite a bit. Like, I mean, I would have felt like I was insane picking 80 wins. I, yeah, I, I would have too. It, it, they, they've won the games. There's no question about that. And even it, it's as fun. late as the All-Star break, I was sitting there like, well, this is about to be where they're going to start to suck. And, you know, they'll probably end up with like 75 to 80 wins. And yeah. It was nope. it was hard to believe early in the season. It was kind of like one of those Roadrunner cartoons, you know, where uh, the Roadrunner run, runs off the edge of the cliff, and Wiley Coyote runs off the edge of the cliff, and and he doesn't he looks down and he's staying in midair, and Roadrunner gives him a book about gravity, and then he falls. You kind of expected that to happen. That is the exact analogy I've I've used probably in a game thread more than one occasion. It's just felt like they were the Wiley Coyote, and the whole season I've just been waiting for the Roadrunner to give them the book on gravity. And then, then you know, then they plummet to the ground, and there's a little puff of smoke. And then he gets up, and he's like got accordion legs or whatever. That's that's exactly what I have felt like has been going to happen, and it hasn't. And it's I really, after after such a long period of time, you're kind of ingrained with this pessimism, general pessimism about what the Orioles will do. I mean, you expect, oh, we're doing well now, but then we're gonna lose for a month, like we did in 2010, was it? Like this weekend, I was convinced, ah, the Orioles, they're going to get swept in Oakland, and then, you know, maybe they'll get the second wild card. Maybe they won't. But then they pulled off the, they salvaged the one today. Suddenly things look a lot better. But I expect to wake up from kind of a fever coma and inform that the Orioles signed Doug Drabeck again. Yeah, they, uh, that uh, Albert Bell is getting, has been signed again, or his hip has broken down again, perhaps. Or, you know... We wake up and it's back in the Jamie Walker, Danny Baez, uh, Chad Bradford signings. Jamie Walker. What I do appreciate is the Orioles always have a sidearm or a submariner, and I always, I always dig that. We go back to the days of Billy Rowell being the number one draft pick. That that didn't work out too well. Or you know, just any any number of bad things that the Orioles have done over the last 15 years, which. We we were going to do on Camden chat. We had a we had a little feature that we were going to call 1997 the last good year, and we 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 did a little in April and May, and then after they were winning, it was like, well, we don't want to be depressing and look at all the ways where you knew in 1997 afterwards they were going to start losing, so we kind of abandoned that. But 
I mean, if you just look at all the draft picks over between then and now, it's so depressing. All, all the stat nerds, were, including me, were already in panic before the 1998 season about their future. Uh, because, of course, that was the, the offseason where they brought in Dre Beck and Charlton and, and Ozzie Guillen. It was the beginning of the end. I did not know that stat nerds were, were up in arms already, but... That's oh, oh, we, we were. I didn't know any uh, stat nerds in. in oh, and Joe Carter. I, I almost forgot Joe Carter. I don't know how I forgot about Joe Carter, but everybody, we were, we were, we were all making fun of them. Uh, back in those days, uh, all the baseball internet nerds hung out on Usenet. I don't know how familiar you are with that. Oh yeah. That. So what was that? Uh, rec dot sports. Rec dot sports dot baseball. And that that's kind of where all the the early, um, the early uh, crew of internet stat heads came from because. That's where I came from, and Keith Law, and Clay Davenport, Huckabay, uh, Wilner, Voris McCracken, Sean Foreman of Baseball Reference. That, that's, that's what we all were. We, were. we were just snarking on players and making fun of web TV users and AOL users. <laughs> web TV. Oh, man. Talk about late 90s concepts that didn't really work it, out. It actually, in the end, internet and TV did become kind of a line, but it wasn't really... It was too early for that. Not in the way that it was then. So just, so just for reference, so, so the Orioles, looking on baseballreference.com, the average age of batters in 1998 was 33.1 years old, and the pitchers was 30 and a half. And to compare that to this year, the Orioles' average age for a batter is 28 years old, and their average age for a pitcher is 27.6. So... That's getting younger, and that's you know that makes a big difference. Yeah, it was it was an old team. I don't think uh, I realized just I think, how I think old. Was Alomar, the youngest, started then in '98. He must have been. That's a very good question. He might very well have been. Here, I actually I actually have a computer with the internet. So. Let's see. Yeah, Alomar was 30, yeah. and he was the youngest yeah. starter, position player. Although Jeff Hammonds, they get a lot of playing time. And then there was a rotation with many 30. Cena. That was God, it. I hope he gets into the hall and he does it as an Oriole. Yeah. The Yankees have enough. So do you think he's going to make it in and will he be an Oriole? There's a there's a topic for you. I don't know about will he. I've kind of given up trying to predict the BBW, BBWAA. Um, he should get in and he uh, should get in as an Oriole, I, I would hope. Because really the Yankees have so many Hall of Famers. Just well, and he had more years on the Orioles and his best years were when he was on the Orioles. So yeah, and that's when he was that's that's when he was Mike Mussina with an with an exclamation point. So then they'll have to put a statue out in the uh, the Legends Plaza for him, which will be which will be pretty cool to see if they were able to do that. I don't know. Have you gotten to see any of the statues? Have you been down in? Uh, I have. I haven't the, seen the statues yet. Uh, they're pretty impressive. Oh, looking at 1998. Now I remember Terry Matthews. And immediately wish we could forget Terry Matthews, I would say. Uh, I mean, I don't want to pile on him because he died this year. But oh, Well, I but feel bad then. I, I did not like being at games in 98 or 97, and then they announced that Terry Matthews is coming into the oh, game. Norm Charlton, 36 games with a 694 ERA. Had 20, oh, my God, Doug Drabeck, 729, and he made 21 starts? Good grief. They, they, they were not going to give up the ghost on that one quickly. You know when they say that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and, and expecting different results? They were extremely insane with Doug Drabeck. It was it was pretty clear by the end of April that his stuff was completely gone, but they did not give up. Um, so many careers died that season. I mean, uh, Drabeck was done after that. Scott Kamenicki, uh 
various relievers. This is like this is like needed detox. All the Orioles fans just need to purge all these bad memories from their system because those days are interrupted at least and hopefully gone. But Lenny Webster hit better than I remembered. Now that I'm I'm looking at it, like wow, he had a he had a 751 OPS. 95 OPS plus isn't terrible. In fact, the lowest of the starters that year was Cal Ripken. Poor Cal. Yeah, that was one of his off years, unfortunately. Well, he was 37, so. Mike Bordick was not loved by the Stathead community either. No? Why, I mean, did, that... they, why did they not love Mike Bordick? Well, we didn't like him as, because uh, Ripken's defensive stats were, were still pretty good, so we really hated seeing him moved off for Bordick. Of course, then Bordick, the year after that, suddenly became like the power hitter and a really good player. So what were what were defensive stats like in 1997 or 8 or whatever then? Well, we still had zone rating then. Which oh, okay. Is, which was, stats has been doing zone rating since 1987, I believe. Huh? Uh, we also had some other uh, data from – there was an f- outfit called the Baseball Workshop, uh, and a lady named Sherry Nichols had a lot of defensive data. Dale Stevenson, another old-time sabermetric guy who people might remember um, – we did. We did have some some decent some decent data at that point. Um, it, it didn't quite like Bordick as much as it was his reputation. But when he became a better hitter, uh, because he was a terrible hitter in '97, but in '98 he suddenly started hitting for power. And then all of a sudden he was a really good player. Yeah, he had over a 400 slugging percentage in 1998. Hooray, Mike Bordick. Yeah, and the year he hit 20, that was just crazy. That was 2000, between Baltimore and New York. All right, because Bordick. That was the year they, they traded him for, uh, got Melvin Mora and uh, someone else. Let's see. Traded by the Baltimore Orioles to the New York Mets for Pat Gorman, Leslie Bray. Bray? I don't know. Mike Kincaid and Melvin Mora. And, of course, Mora was just a happy accident that he turned into somebody. I don't think that was any kind of plan whatsoever. Well, man, yeah. you want to think about Orioles that were representative of that losing era. Melvin Mora. Yeah, although... He went insane for a couple of years there, 2003, 2004. 2003, 2004, and 5. Well, 2003 and 4 both were pretty great, and 5 was decent enough. But, I mean, he has one of those lines that you look at on Baseball Reference and you and you think, whoa, there must have been some typos then. But, I mean, he, he became a, a really good player. And for his 31 and 32 age seasons, which was the ultimate surprise, I guess. I think kind of the emblem for the Orioles of that time period was might have been Jeff Conine because Jeff Conine wasn't a bad player. He just wasn't really that great, and the Orioles just loved Jeff Conine. Uh, if if he still played now, I think the Orioles would still be trying to acquire him. I want to say I went to 2006 opening day, and they made a big deal out of welcoming Jeff Conine back. Yeah, I mean they did. Like he's back because they had a. Uh, they had uh, sent him to... He went to the Marlins. Didn't we Looks get Denny like... Batista for him? Let's find out what baseball reference says. Traded uh, to... Don Levinsky. I don't remember Don Levinsky at all, but Don Levinsky and Denny Batista. Yeah. And then he was eventually traded to the Phillies in 2006 for Angel Chavez. All right. I guess that didn't matter. But he was 40, and they were giving him the welcome back treatment on the orange carpet at Camden Yards on opening day. And uh, when they signed Serhoff, uh, of course, they tried to make you feel guilty because they say, well, he has to come back because his kid is sick and he gets treatment at Hopkins. And 
I would get into arguments at that time about that. I'm like, he's made a lot of money. He could just retire and be in Baltimore. He doesn't have to play in Baltimore if it's that crucial. And of course, Serhoff was actually here in 96 and 97, so there was the fond memories of those days, as opposed to a guy who came in after the after the winning was done. But you know, these are you know these are the guys. These were the only guys that we Orioles fans had to cling to for a long time. You just had to had to hang on to those decent guys because there were so many not good players on the team. And that, 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 that's putting it nicely. So many not good players. I mean, I, I can't even start rattling them all off because I'm just trying to forget them all. But you, if you're I out mean, there you, listening, you, you, you know. hear their names in the lineup, and, and you'd, you'd instantly go get some pit beef or something. You'd, you'd hear, batting next, uh, Charles Johnson. And you would just get frustrated and then leave. You just know, exactly. There's There was no point in getting excited, although somehow every year I would manage to get excited with, like, Hieronimo Heal the catcher. Veronica Hill. Brooke Fordyce. Now, I'm, I'm, I was a little, I'm a little tough on Charles Johnson. Uh, he wasn't that bad. But Brooke Fordyce, I did not understand the excitement about. Davy Cruz. Davy Cruz. Larry and of course, there, there, was a, there, was a, there was a Tony Batista also. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tony... I, I, never, I never liked that, uh, that, that stance of his, that crazy kind of facing the picture like he's a medieval swordsman and he's going to duel the picture. So are you like the batting stance guy, batting stance connoisseur? I don't know if I'm a connoisseur, but I know I know, I know what I hate. That's fair. And that, that that's important for a writer. A writer needs to know what they hate so that they can make fun of it and be a complete jerk about it. That's pretty important. That's it is pretty important. So so while we're purging the bad memories, here's some more of the roll call of the uh the uh the suck, if you will. For instance, Sammy Sosa from that two thousand five team. I why was he ever an Oriole? I don't know. That that he was he was part of Project 500. You know, we have to get to 500. I mean, he wasn't really at the kind of uh, climax of that in, in 2010, but or 2011. Sorry, I'm I'm already pushing years farther back in my head. That's okay. Well, I'm trying to say somebody terrible in 2006, and there's actually nobody that was super awful in the. Rotation or the uh, well, no, that's not true. Rodrigo Lopez, he's a pretty. There's a pretty good name to throw out there while we're while we're cleansing. He keeps he keeps popping up though. Does he? He does. He actually um was not too horrible with with the Cubs last year. Wow. Yeah, they actually threw him in the rotation, and he wasn't good, but he wasn't as bad as he could have been. All right. Well, and with go. the Cubs, there's there's a there's a pretty deep floor for how bad you could be. For instance, they now have Jason Birkin and Miguel Sokolovich, who I believe gave up like five combined runs in today's game in like an inning. It's kind of unfortunate for them, I guess. But I mean, uh, Epstein has a lot of work cut out for him. See, see how I shifted this to the Cubs somehow? Yeah. And then and then I'll shift it to the Astros again because it it, it it's fun undermining the host and, and taking topics to strange places. No, that's okay. That's what we, we would end up doing anyway. It's They maybe are a little stranger than they would have been otherwise. So here's some more on the roll call of the suck. We got like Jay Payton from 2007. Ooh, I didn't like Jay, Jay Payton. Payton. He, he was always fun with the Mets because he'd always get injured and then miss a year. But 
But when he played for the Orioles, he was he was pretty healthy, unfortunately. Although Jay Payton did have one of the more memorable walk-offs, as I well, it wasn't a walk-off, but he hit a grand slam off like Hideki Okajima or something like that in a game against the Red Sox in April or May that year. That was pretty exciting. But then I got mad at him because it seemed like he would always just like give up on fly balls that were going into the corner, and then they would bounce fair and be like ground rule doubles. And I'd be like, Jay Payton! I hate Yeah, you. Early on in his career, he wasn't a bad center fielder, but by that point, he was old and decrepit, so of course the Orioles brought him in. Yeah, he was 34 in 2007 and probably breaking down, so perfect time for him to, to join the, mid, the mid-aughts Orioles. See, see, that's what the Orioles did. They, they would ruin your image of players. Like, now I remember Doug Drabeck, not as a good picture for the Pirates. I remember his bad time for the Orioles. Or how about Vladimir Guerrero? Vladimir Guerrero, I mean, ugh. Now now that's what I picture. Instead of this this dynamic hitter that can just hit things way out of the strike zone and turn them into doubles. Now I picture Vladimir Guerrero, aging, decrepit, needs a wheelchair to to uh, get around. And that that's the lasting image I, I, I got of him. Alright. Let's let's purge some more. We gotta purge if we're gonna purge, we gotta purge the two thousand eight starting rotation other than Jeremy Guthrie. Because I, I don't, don't want to remember any of the recent rotations. Because you on this list we've got Daniel Cabrera, Garrett Olson, Brian Burris, Radimus Liz, and Chris Waters. See see, I did not want to ever see any of those guys pitch. I mean, Cabrera had his moments, but it seems like they tried to fix him by making him into a pitcher. So instead of a guy who struck out a ton of guys and walked a ton of guys, he was a guy who, who walked a ton of guys but didn't strike out anybody. Well, that, and but he had his almost no-hitter in Yankee Stadium on the last game of the uh, season he pitched, whatever year that was. So there was no there was no giving up on him. He's he's still he's still in professional baseball. He resurfaced this year uh, for um for uh, the in the Pirates minors. Two thousand nine is another good purge. We got we had some Rich Hill appearances. Jason Birkin as a starter. Rich Hill had Rich Hill had injury problems. <laughs> That's true. He did have his elbow issues. So so you can't completely blame Rich Hill. Um, and he's 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 uh he actually resurfaced again this year too and and was better than he was. I mean, of course, he was he was terrible in 2009. Of course, then you start getting into the Aubrey Huff era, Cesar Asturias' lamentable plate appearances, although I think J.J. Hardy has a lower on-base percentage than the, the Cesar Asturias line. Oh, Ty Wigginton, we can't forget about him. I remember, uh, I think it was a, a spring training game, and it was right when they had gotten Ty Wigginton, and I think it was Fred... Manfra, that referred to him in a spring training game as Ty Wigglesworth. That sounds like a Manfra thing to do. Uh, maybe Joey Angel. I don't know. Oh, good grief. The days when we were believing in Felix P.A. that he would ever be anything. Wherever Stacy is, I'm sorry. I had to remind her of that. We're pitchers when, um, like Kevin Millwood. There's another for the roll call. Well, P.A. was interesting. By that point, he was kind of not so much. But what kind of crushed me is... is when he was a real young player, I guess it was about 2002 or 2003 when I realized that he wasn't Felix Pie, he was Felix P.A. Because Felix Pie sounds so much cooler. It does, but alas, it wasn't meant to be. Or then if, and then at the, the very end of our purging, we can purge some last year memories. Like Vlad Guerrero, as mentioned. Derek Lee, I think he gets 
purged. I'm sorry, Derek Lee, but you just you're not living up to what we wanted. Then you can't you can't forget um uh, we still we we still haven't we still haven't gone through the uh the Julio Lugo oh because that needs some purging too. I have I have to uh balance my humors by expelling Julio Lugo. That's fair. And Garrett Atkins. Yeah, that's fair. Got to get rid of got to get rid of Garrett Atkins. Any 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 anybody out there that you need to get rid of, you listener, just just get it all. Let it all out there. Now's the time. Now's the time to get clean, get clear, purge ourselves of of memories of guys like Chris uh, Chris Jakubaskis or Jeremy Ricardo or Jojo Reyes. Just for but I, I, I'm not up, I'm not up on medical technology and science, but I think they actually decried all this purging of bad blood. I think that sometime in the in the late 1800s. But they do believe in the placebo effect, Dan. That, that's true. So we as the fans are engaging in a little placebo behavior because we believe we will feel better if we get all this out of our system. And therefore we may believe that we, that we may actually feel better. Certainly, because we can look at the standings right now and see that the Orioles have 82 wins. Pretty cool. I, 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 but I hope, I hope I don't cry in the, in the last weekend if they don't make the playoffs. Because I was 11 in 1989. I think I cried... When uh when when Greg Olson threw that wild pitch, I really I'd like, wasn't old enough to specifically remember that. I I'd was like to think I was five. I was stoic, but I probably wasn't. I was I was that season. I was very emotional about the Orioles when they started losing. That's, so I'm, I probably I probably cried. That's about our last uh, thought. Is they keep comparing it to 1989, and then I think about that, and I'm like, well, I hope they don't lose on the last weekend again, and and have it go. Uh, Go yeah, that sounds like a punchline for like an old TV show. Well, I think they don't lose again this weekend. And then the, the of course the, the last series is Monday through Wednesday, so it won't be on a weekend. But yeah, it's it's weird not to end seasons on weekends. Seasons should culminate on weekends. Friday, Saturday, Sunday for all the marbles. I mean, no one says the final midweek series. It's always the it should come down to the final weekend. Uh, it's like having some sort of like you know medieval sword fighting movie, and it comes down to like a a long, boring siege at the end. It, it has to be a sword fight. It has to be a weekend. Right, right. You send out your champion against their champion, and then there's all kinds of skullduggery, but you win. I mean, how do you trash talk? This midweek, you guys are going down. It, it, it just sounds ridiculous. So basically, we have to hope that Joe Madden doesn't morph into the next Cito Gaston as far as a figure for revulsion. Yeah, remember, remember the old days of the Oriole-Blue Jay feud, you know, Mucina being in the bullpen, Cito getting booed. We don't have that 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 Orioles Blue Jays hatred anymore. No, we need to find somebody else to to hate. I mean, we had the Yankees, but you know, everybody hates the Yankees. Right, so exactly. Saying, we have a we have a hate relationship with the Yankees. It, it doesn't ring as an exciting as an exciting factor because everyone everyone has the feud. I mean, I'm sure that they're Astros fans that think they have a feud over the Yankees because they both have had pinstripes or something because uh i don't know maybe it has something to do with roger clemens and andy pettit maybe, maybe that 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 would be a better but even then it everyone hates the yankees right i think even yankees fans secretly hate them just a little bit just so they can feel like they belong with everyone else maybe well yeah so we need it we, we, we I mean, they need hate a rod so they say so they do get a yankee that they hate that's true 
uh, because anything A-Rod does kind of has this this hue of like being the most horrible person in the universe. Uh, I mean, if he saved a, a group of babies from a burning building, people would still say he just did that to, to uh, help his public relations. People can't say anything about nice about A-Rod. It's true. So that's life. But I don't know. I don't know who the most Baltimore centric feud could be right now. Because, I mean, I mean, with the unbalanced the schedule, you're, you, it can really only be someone in your division. And I mean, you 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 want Tampa. You kind of you don't want the Orioles and the Rays to feud. You kind of want them to kind of team up and take down the Yankees. Or team up and take down the Red Sox like they did last year. Anyway. Well, they, they've already been taken down. Right. Boston, 66 yeah. and 81. They're 17 and a half games out in the East. Oh, that sucks. For them <laughs> i don't feel very bad though so but they did get out from under those co- couple of their contracts yeah, that's, which is amazing uh, they may they may yet be reborn but not this year bobby I valentine mean, probably is going to get fired like the minute the season ends yeah i'm surprised they haven't just fired him now out of spite maybe they'll fire him like the day before the end of the season he's, just he's really it. crying out for help he's just begging to be fired uh, he, I mean, he's almost becoming a meme where people blame him for everything, even things that aren't his fault. Well, he he came in for the wrong situation at the wrong time. So how lucky Orioles fans were that he blew off taking this job when it was uh, before they hired Buck Showalter. Very fortunate. Yeah, Valentine's um, reputation was better when he was a prospective managerial candidate rather than a current manager. And then, of course, at that time, if I remember right, it was Annie McPhail wanted to hire Eric Wedge, and Peter Angelos said, no, we're going to hire Buck Showalter. That was not a terrible case of Angelos meddling in, in retrospect. But, but see, that just encourages him. He might, it might, he might have reached the point in the last 15 years where he thinks, okay, I'm just going to stay out of it. But see, now something he likes has worked out. So we might see crazy Peter back this winter. We're going to see Joe Blanton signed to a four-year, $60 million deal or something. We'll see how crazy Peter Angelos interacts with Dan Duquette. Of course, Duquette being hired may have itself have been a sign of crazy Angelos. I, I've always liked Duquette. Uh, I think Duquette got a bad rap for for some of the things in Boston at the end of his tenure. He he was a solid GM. He got a lot of great, underappreciated pickups. I mean, he he brought in Reggie Jefferson, who had a, had a good season. Um, and even though letting Mo Vaughn go and signing Jose Offerman was bashed at the time, Jose Offerman was the better player at the time. And he did eventually get injured. His legs were just went, and that's that was the end of him. But, I mean, people still fault him for not signing Mo Vaughn. And, of course, he made that terrific Veritech low for Heathcliff Slocum trade. Absolute, there's, a, there's another. Absolute steal. There's another old Oriole that you might want to purge. Which, who? Heathcliff Slocum. Was oh, he on the he had, Orioles? He had a he had a terrible stint in the late nineties. Oh man! Oh, oh I, you have to. I had already I had already purged it. I guess I didn't even remember that. Well, well, now now it's time to re-traumatize you. Are you still on the internet? You have to look at Heathcliff Slocum's stint with all the right, Orioles. All right, all right. So nineteen ninety nine, he pitched in ten games for the Orioles, and oh my goodness, he had a twelve point four six ERA. He only threw eight and two thirds innings. But they were memorable ones. 2.769 whip. 
It's even worse than Brian Mattis of last year, I think. 9.3 walks. Yeah, Brian Mattis last year only had a 2.114 whip only. So, wow. Yeah, there's there's another one to purge out of there. Heathcliff's... See, now, now, now that I've reminded you of Heathcliff Slocum's existence, now you can kind of just do your best to not remember him. $1.1 million salary in 1999 with the Orioles. That was an, another example of the Orioles making a beautiful signing of a relief pitcher. Yeah, I don't know how much that is in today's dollars, but... I don't know. I mean, based on gas prices, that must be like $20 million. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if, it's, that, if, I don't know if inflation's been quite that bad, but... It's, but it's but they, don't, they don't count gasoline or food in inflation measures because nobody buys those things ever yeah it, it's a little weird but that's economics for you i guess now that i've revealed myself to be a complete rube i don't know do we have any more orioles we need to purge out of there I, i'm sure there are let's let's be happier about dan duquette's unappreciated pickups with the orioles like how about but so so i'm happy with duquette how about nate mcclough i mean who could have that smashed? that that mcclough had no right to actually work out um which which kind of makes you think that that it's one of the reasons why I think I'm in a coma fantasy right now, uh, because McClouth has been terrible since since uh well forever since since he went to Atlanta essentially, and to actually have him come to Baltimore and actually play well that that lends credence to my belief that I'm unconscious at the moment I'm in a hospital in a I'm in a, a, a St Joe's I'm I'm brain dead and this is what i'm what i'm envisioning and and someday you'll open your eyes and then everyone will be glad you didn't die and then the orioles will be bad because that's that's the world but no this is our world the orioles are not bad and it's amazing i'm 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 continually amazed every time i wake up and you've got even like andy chavez since coming back from triple a for the most recent time is just Getting on base, getting hits. I'm as shocked as anyone. I was always disappointed that that ND wasn't actually short for anything. It's not. It's just ND. Eating ND. I mean, it should be like ND10. I do that with with, uh, Melky Cabrera. I occasionally, not anymore, but when he was a younger player, I used to occasionally fool people into thinking his name was Melkington. But it wasn't. You got them to believe it, though? uh, A few people. I... I, I, I got them to believe it, and then they learned not to believe anything I said after that. Yeah, I, I can imagine that would that would set but, in. But sometimes, sometimes you just have to give up your your uh, reputation for a good joke. Well, yeah, you do. Or how about Miguel I, Gonzalez? There's a there's a surprising key contributor. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised by Miguel Gonzalez as well. Sign him out of the Mexican league, and suddenly he's got a 3.57 ERA, made 12 starts. That doesn't suck. It's it's much better to sign someone out of the sign a picture of the Mexican League than a hitter because Mexican League has very high scoring levels. So so that Miguel Gonzalez survived the Mexican League. I mean he had an ERA like really low if I recall. I don't I don't have his Mexican League numbers in front of me. Uh, but he he's he actually was an interesting prospect for a while. So it's nice to see him work out as a starter so far. So there's your there's your 2012 Orioles uh, in a nutshell. Dan, Dan Dvorsky and I have been here for the last... Wow, it's been an hour. Time really flies when you're having fun, Dan. Well, you know, I, 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 like to, I like to talk. When I was a kid, I was my uh, friends of the family would refer to me as constant comment. Constant comment? 
That's a good one. Because even as a little even as a little child, I was kind of the narrator of events. I, you know what? I guess I probably was too, and that's why someday I have grown up and graduated into having a podcast, which works out for me, I guess, especially this year, because I really get to chronicle the Orioles' uh, ascent into winning, although... If you listen to my old podcasts, it's more of an I, ascent. It's more of an ascent into winning. A descent to winning is like going down. You don't want to descend yeah. it to winning. Yeah, they're ascending. You're and, ascending um, into winning. I mean, if you listen to the old podcasts this year, like every one, I'm just waiting for the terrible things to start happening. Like I'm afraid to believe, but we're finally where I have to accept that it's a winning season because it's happened. Maybe I could finally do that now because I've I've purged out. All the uh, well, a lot of the of the nasty Orioles memories. Now we can just embrace what's left for the last 16 games, and hopefully they'll fatten up on. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. Know. I'm sure people will will angrily remind me through email that I didn't pick the Orioles to do well because I get a lot of hate mail in general. I guess it comes with 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 working for ESPN. Well, obviously, you, get, you hate the Orioles. You get, and and people will send me letters saying, "But you're happy now," and I'm like, "Yes, I am happy now." They they, oh, they think boy. that that I secretly just hate that the Orioles are doing so well and they want to taunt me. I'm like, "No, I'm happy." I guess they don't are not aware that you're. Also my my uh, my projection system isn't is doesn't base its projections off of spite or hatred, and that that that's always a kind of thing that you can't convince people about. So if anyone out there in the wide world is not already following Dan on Twitter, you can follow him. He's at Zimborski, and I will spell his name since you probably maybe can't spell it, and that's okay. He's at S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I, Zimborski, and he tweets his baseball thoughts. That's a, that's, it's, it's a tough name to spell. Um, some years ago, I was... Uh on an Ottawa radio station and they were trying to uh, verify the spelling of my name and they kept saying S Z Y and I'm like, what? That would, like, I, that would confuse me also. Canadians. There you go. There's one of those border issues, huh? I mean, sometimes when I'm typing fast, I, I, I type in my last name. So it, no one has to spell it. If you, if you put it in Google, it will usually correct it to Zimborski. There aren't many that are even spelled like that out there, I guess. Yeah, there, there are very few Zimborskis. There's actually another Dan Zimborski out there. Is there really? And there, there is. Uh, I, I was, I was searching the web trying to find him, and so I think at some point I'm supposed to, you know, decapitate him Highlander style and and eat his soul. There's uh, many Mark Browns out there, and there's even one who does Baltimore sports writing because there's some guy. Who calls himself Fantasy God? Who writes for a website called Baltimore Sports Report? That's probably that's probably not his real name. I don't know. Well, he's his name is Mark Brown, but his Twitter is like Fantasy God. So, so, so maybe I have to find him and vanquish him someday. But. Of course, that's not always a good thing. Like poor Jerry Sandusky, I feel so bad yeah, for the it's, guy. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. I mean, still now he has to occasionally tweet people. I'm not the child molester. Did you um, see his uh, segment that aired on ESPN before the Monday Night Football? Oh, I didn't. I was I was out drinking, and they didn't have it flipped yet. Yeah, they did like a little four to five minute video where like Rick Riley talked to him or something like that. It was pretty neat, actually. Oh, I, I gotta I gotta I gotta see if I could download. You're not a very good ESPN or Dan. You didn't even watch your own network's uh, 
features. Well, well, well I'm on I'm on the website of it. It's, uh, it's a big company. That's I, true. I'm the, they they've had the good sense not to put me on TV yet. Um, you know, I did film a video about Albert Pujols, but uh, about his decline at the start of the season. But he came around, so it wasn't as interesting. So I was I was thankful that they didn't need to air it well, because yeah, there you go. I've done a lot of radio and and plenty of writing, but I've never been on TV yet, so I'm... So you're not next in line for the PTI guest host chair or anything like that? No, if if I'm on TV, and if I'm hosting something, that means that there's been some kind of pandemic that has killed 98% of the United States population. <laughs> that 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 is the scenario in which I am hosting a show on ESPN. You know, I think I once had a dream like that, and I ended up as the Orioles radio broadcaster in that same scenario. Was... You, you, the problem is your your uh, audience would be pretty limited. Yeah, I guess that is the one the one problem. But anyway, you can find Dan's writing on ESPN if you're an insider subscriber, which you should be because all the cool stuff on ESPN. Well, a lot of the cool stuff. Yeah, and, is, is yeah, definitely definitely subscribe because it, it keeps me from dancing in the subway for nickels. Well, we definitely do not want that. So nobody wants to see me. So dance. you can check out Dan on ESPN Insider and. His zips uh, will be wherever they will be next year, but Google zips projections, and you can find his his things for that. So Dan, thanks for coming on. Uh, very entertaining conversation. Hopefully our listeners. Thanks for having me. Also, and uh, I will take a short break and return by myself to do a little bit of mailbag action. But Dan and I are signing off. So you're listening to Camdencast, and I will be right back. You're listening to Camden Cast, the Baltimore Orioles fan podcast with Mark Brown and Andrew Gibson. If you'd like to hear from us between episodes, you can follow us on Twitter. Andrew is at Gibson Andrew, and I am at EatMoreSK, E-S-S-K-A-Y, just like the hot dogs. And now, back to the show. In the last segment, I committed the serious faux pas of misspelling Dan's Twitter account. It's actually at D-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. I left out the D. Again, that's at D-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. At D. Zimborski. You should give him a follow. Welcome back to Camden Cast. There's nobody for me to ask what time it is, so I can just tell you right away that it is time for... got mail. The latest installment of the Camden Cast mailbag, and if you want to look forward to the comment box for next week's episode, you can look on Thursday or Friday, most likely Friday, on CamdenChat.com, post a question or comment, and Andrew will most likely be back next week, and we will tackle them together, but for tonight, I will do my best to tackle some thoughts, maybe a couple questions before we close out the podcast from last week's comment box. So, first up, I'll get right to it. Somebody who on Camden Chat named, I'm probably going to say it wrong, Clevix, C-L-E-V-Y-X-C, asks about Mark Reynolds' option. Should it be picked up, restructured, or let him walk? And obviously, I think even with the, uh, the surge in Mark Reynolds' power over the last month or so, $11 million for his option next year is is really excessive. So I kind of think they're going to be inclined to 
declined that option. And I'm not really clear on whether they can offer him arbitration if they decline the option or not. But if they can, they probably should. He may get a little raise, but not up to $11 million. Because this year, he's making $7.5 million. And so arbitration might kick that up to, I don't know, $9 million, maybe even nine and a half. And, well, that saves you a million and a half dollars, which lets you sign a couple relievers off the scrap heap. For instance, Luis Ayala is signed for something in the neighborhood of $800,000. So that's the, you know, that's a price that's worth something for the Orioles. And, yeah, he signed for $825,000, Luis Ayala is. So anything you save on Mark Reynolds, you can spend elsewhere. So I would say decline the option, offer him arbitration, and see what happens. And uh, unless there's, there's big plans to sign a much more expensive person to play first base, which... I really don't think there is going to be, mostly because the free agent crop is pretty uh, thin for the free agent market for this upcoming offseason. Just to rattle off a few names that are listed on the COTS contracts as upcoming free agent first baseman, we have, for instance, uh, Lance Berkman, James Loney, Mike Napoli. David Ortiz, and of course most of these guys aren't even really first baseman. Carlos Pena not exactly having a great year either. Ty Wiginton, oh, but he has a club option, but they're not going to exercise it. So, like it or not, Mark Reynolds maybe is the best option for the, the Orioles for first base next year. So if they can if they can finagle getting him for a, a good price, they probably should. So moving on to the next question. Stacy asks, when the Orioles make the playoffs, which bar should we all meet at to watch the game? Obviously, the answer to this question is Pickles Pub, because that's just where you got to go, even if the Orioles are out of town. We went before opening day, or we went on opening day 2011. There were a number of Camden Chatters there at Pickles to watch the game in Tampa Bay, and uh, that was a lot of fun. It wasn't super crowded, because people can watch their, uh, watch their games from home, but it's a public place where we can all get together and get a little bit drunk and watch the Orioles, so I say pickle pop. Uh, let us move right along. Infrasonic Tom asks a couple of key questions, but the most important one is, what sort of confidence does this team give you towards next season and beyond? And I've, I've really been avoiding answering questions about next season up until now, but since we're, since we're going through the cleansing on this episode, kind of purging some of the, the bad feelings. Maybe I can start to look ahead and imagine a good future for the Orioles. So here's some things about this team to be confident about going forward. One is there is some kind of talent evaluation in progress where they can identify cheap players that will fill gaps, because that's not something we've really seen from previous regimes. I don't know if Dan Duquette has just been the luckiest person who ever lucked with, you know, all the old-timey people he's brought in from his old GM days that he was were probably also out of the game. Um, but just thinking of all the guys they've, they've just signed off the scrap heap, that, ge that gives you some confidence going forward. Uh, you can think about the future of the Orioles, uh, young players, Manny Machado, he's already doing great at first base. Just imagine what it'll be like once he's had a year or two years to adjust to Major League Pitching. He, I think, will be one of the most special players 
And even considering he's he's having a little bit of struggle at the plate as far as his on-base percentage, he's still slugging a 452 going into today's game, which is not awful. If he had an on-base percentage up to maybe 310 or 320, we'd be saying, you know, he's an average hitter. And if he can develop to average or even better, he'll be great. Because, seriously, you see him out there at third base, and it's awesome. Manny Machado is a reason to be excited. Uh, Nick Markakis, if he can continue what he did this season into the next few seasons, that will be great. Adam Jones, if he develops a little bit more, or even if he's just the player he showed us this year for the duration of his extension, that's going to be a pretty valuable player. Of course, we can always dream about Matt Wieters taking that last step forward at the plate, but even if he's not, he throws out base runners like it's going out of style. Uh, you can look at the pitching staff and think, well, maybe Rick Peterson is actually going to work some magic on guys like Chris Tillman. Uh, maybe with an offseason to work with those guys, he can finally make something out of Jake Arrieta. Brian Mattis pitching as a reliever is surprisingly not terrible, and even if you saw him in today's game, for instance, he was pretty shut down, even though he was pitching against lefties and righties both. So all of these things are reasons to be, to be hopeful. Uh, as well as the fact that the Orioles will hopefully take the lesson from this year that a bullpen assembled full of low-cost and maybe unproven guys can be successful. That's pretty good. I mean, just na just looking at all the guys with sub-3 ERAs that nobody would have given any thought about that wasn't an Orioles fan. Jim Johnson, Darren O'Day, Pedro Strip, Troy Patton, even Luis Ayala, I... Uh, I make fun of him a lot because of his inherited runner thing, but he does have a 248 ERA, which isn't terrible. So that's all things that you can look forward to going into the future. And for the first time in a long time, the present is pretty exciting for the Orioles. As I said earlier when I was talking to Dan, 500 finish from here gets us to Dan O'Hare, 90 win town, and any more than that, and you're, you're talking even more exciting. They're... They're one game out for the division. New York stumbles at all, and the Orioles keep pace. They're going to take over that. Uh, they are two and a half games above the Angels for the second wild card, so it looks like they're going to qualify for the playoffs, which is, is scary for me to really contemplate, but it's something that could happen. So the present is pretty bright, and the future may be bright as well for the first time in forever. And, and because, and most importantly, because of having a successful season this year. We don't have to feel like morons and fools to have any hope going into next season, which is maybe the most important thing, because I really was tired of just going around trying to tell people, well, this will be finally the Orioles are here, and everybody had to make fun of me. Everybody. But this year they can't make fun of me, because the Orioles, right now, they're 82 and 64, and there's 16 games left to play. They can end up with 90 wins. They can end up with more than 90 wins. But either way, they are not a laughingstock team. They are a surprisingly good team. It's really been exciting to watch, and as much as I give in to despair sometimes, because it's the only thing I know for my entire adult life about the Orioles. Like, for instance, today, after the Ravens game and the Orioles were down 2 to nothing in Oakland, I was like, ah, they're getting swept, that's over. But they didn't get swept. They tied it up, they took the lead, they held on, they won. Pretty cool. Now they're heading off to Seattle. They do have to play Felix Hernandez in one of those games there, but hopefully in the other two they have favorable matchups. Then we're talking Toronto, we're talking Boston, and the only three games left against a playoff contender are against the Rays for the final three games of the season. So 
dream maybe not the sky is the limit, but at least at least we can we can dream of flying up above the clouds for the first time in a long time. And again, that's pretty so that is about all I have for tonight. This has been a been a bit of a verbose Camden cast, but hopefully you had a good time. So thanks again to Dan Zaborski for coming on. Andrew Gibson, I miss very much. I will talk to him when I can. And that is all we have for this evening. So I am Mark Brown. I'm bringing you this Camden cast. Hopefully the last time I will be by myself. Uh, this is Birdland, and I am 